This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and we are in the presence of greatness is probably a little (laughs) overzealous. Oh no. Um for sure goodness. <laughs> okay, good. That's 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 acceptable. His name is Richard Falco and he is a CTI trainer. Really more of a mobile tech than he lets on, but he only takes on the toughest of vehicles or <laughs> he's really really good at making the simple look very complex. I don't know about that. I'm not sure that was a compliment. <laughs> yeah, okay. It took me a second to realize that was a shot. Okay, all right. So that's how we're going. All right, cool. <laughs> but yeah, he is a trainer. He's uh, one of the train by techs. He's an excellent driver. Uh, I think he may have cracked my top 10 favorite trainers. Wow. That's impressive since you've never been to one of my classes. So I'll drop drastically when you eventually do. It'll be perfect. I mean, I think I've been in a virtual one. And oh, then that's right. I've, yep. Entering the tech yeah, talks. I've seen so. a few um, train by techs uh, at night deals that you've presented. Okay. All right. So you've seen enough to know you've seen too much. That's that's fine. I'm trying to think like even top five. Come on. I'm not even in my top five. I don't know, man. I'm kind of thinking about this. Like, I'm not thinking all time because that gets dicey. If I was going to do like an all time list, Scalar would be on there in a heartbeat. Dave Scalar is one of my very favorite people to watch present. He's not really active anymore, at least that I know of. Not that I know of. He was at MEA, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'm mad at myself because I used to send my guys there for classes and they would tell me how awesome he was. And I, I never took advantage of going to a class. I was always sending my guys to it. So I missed out on a huge opportunity. I mean, you think about that, the tech line and the presenters, they had a, they had a heck of a lineup with Dave and Louis, Big Al, Ira, you know, Ira kind of disappeared and now we're seeing Ira in the EEPROM world doing some pretty cool stuff. You know, while I'm breaking a bunch of people up, I better break up our sponsor, Napa Auto Care. It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care is addressing that. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician with three ASE certifications. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. Yeah, those guys would answer the phone for tech support. And then I think they did classes four nights a week. I think so. I think the classes generally lasted an hour or two. No handouts, which would be my heaven as a presenter. And I think it's really down and dirty, like super focused, like a Honda, whatever, P1457 or something like that. That's all they would talk about. Uh, this is going back a ways. But when I had my shop in Jersey, when we had emissions testing, you had to be a, a certified emissions repair facility in order to do any emissions repairs. And the only way you got that certification was if you had somebody who had L1 certification. MEA did like a boot camp. I don't remember what it was, how many nights a week, but it was, we're going to get you guys through this L1. And I, and I sent my guy who is the owner of my shop, Tim O'Shea now to that. And he loved it. We've got our L1 and, and that was, that was a license to print money back then. Cause if you failed in your emissions inspection at the state inspection center, you got handed a list of the shops you were allowed to go to. That was interesting. I know they don't have that anymore. I found that out today doing my class up here in uh, East Brunswick. Yeah, Dave was in, I mean, most of the L1 workshops 
And uh, that's probably where I got to know him the most because uh, I, I got invited to one. Thought I was kind of in my element. Sat right next to Dave Scaler in a couple hours because, you know, they got to do the intros and kind of explain what you're doing and stuff like that. And then you write some questions. And I learned really quick that I was way out of my way out of my league, especially with Mr. Scaler to my left. I remember just sitting in my hotel room thinking, I got to bring my A game. Because, <laughs> wow, if he's not on my list because we're not thinking all the time, you know, it's easy to rattle off Thornton and Mana, just bang, bang. Uh, and then after that, it gets kind of rough because I don't think Dillman presents anymore. I don't think Burnclaw uh, or Kemper really present much anymore. Mm-hmm. I wish they did. Yeah, I know. I feel like I missed a lot of that. I, I absolutely missed out on it. I caught one class Burnclaw did at Vision. I've never really seen Kemper present, but I, I met them at a L1 workshop and got to spend some time with both of them and got their contact info. And that, I mean, that just means the world. And I learned a lot that way. And then, of course, IETN. And Burnclaw is fairly active on Diagnostic Network. Yeah, that was my introduction to IATN was Burnclaw responding to one of my posts. And I just went, oh, crap, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and that's when I did a deep dive into, you know, all the, the resources, all the history and reading everything going, all right, all right, I need to step my game up. And that was a long time ago. That's why I still have a subscription. Mm-hmm. Me too. I don't look at too much of the new stuff, but I'll go back from time to time and read over the Ragsdale, Burnclaw, Kemper, Harvey Chan stuff. Just Harvey's got to be in your top. And we're talking all time. Oh, definitely. He was so good. <laughs> That's another one I missed. I'm so mad. We were kind of already friends for the most part. I went to a, a hybrid class he and a uh, Edwin El Faro put on. And the introductions were very short. This is Edwin Alfaro. He's a Toyota technician, super bright guy. And he's another one to search on IETN. Very bright. And now he's a Toyota trainer. And I'm Harvey Chan. If you have any questions, direct them to Edwin. And if he can't answer them, I will answer them. <laughs> I think he was being sarcastic, but the truth was is he could answer the questions. I introduce myself in my classes and I go, I'm an idiot, but you can ask me questions anyway. I got a lot of smart friends. (laughs) I don't have to introduce myself that way. They know (laughs) (laughs) your reputation precedes you. (laughs) I've had a couple of people on webinars go, oh, wait, you're that guy that hates the scope. (laughs) I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. (laughs) They just weren't paying attention. That was a great presentation. Like everyone thought my feathers would be ruffled by that. It was my God, you can plug your scan tool in and spend a few minutes just scrolling through looking at some data and look at the stuff you're not familiar with and just wonder what it is. Because I think that was like the gist of what you were showing is there's stuff that you've never heard of that you don't know what it is. And then you look into it and um, it's like, wow, there's a, that's an important pit. I better keep an eye on that guy. Or Exactly. You know, every once in a while you come across something, you go, what is that? And you dig through and you find out and you go, oh, wait a minute. If I had this type of problem, that would be really valuable to know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, I think you were going to do a follow up on, I don't think it was so much like leave the scan tool in the drawer, but it was something to the tune of that. You were going to do a follow up. Do a follow-up with stop wasting time with your scan tool. 
Yeah, something like that. Like at some point, you need the raw data. So quit trying to just diagnose it from the driver's seat. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that class with a straight face, but I could try. I heard you're kind of a fan of um, some of the cooking shows. I am. Uh, ever since you said you wanted to do a uh, an episode on heat, I've been trying to think of something else to talk about. <laughs> Heat plus food equals cooking. Yeah, there we go. Yep. I stole that from uh, Alton Brown, I think. Yeah, I love all of those. All, Alton Brown was awesome. My wife makes fun of me because I watch the most ridiculous documentaries imaginable. And she's she will just look at me and go, why does this interest you? There was one called Kings of Pastry. And it was it was about these pastry chefs who spend years preparing for this competition in France for... It's in French, it's MOF, but I, I think it's like the best pastry craftsman in all of France. And, and these guys will dedicate years of their lives to develop 10 or 15 recipes and go to this competition and maybe one or two get that, that award. And it's like a little blue, white, and red thing that goes on your collar. And I was just, I was amazed at that uh, dedication to their craft. I mean, I probably shouldn't comment much because I'm not positive and should research it. But at least in France, how your products are marketed is extremely, I don't know if regulated is quite the right word. But if you're going to sell artisan something, bread, I suppose artisan type breads or whatever, that it has to meet a certain criteria. Otherwise, it's it doesn't count. And, you know, you guess I just hear from people that have been over there, live over there versus after having, having lived in the United States. And it's kind of like getting a, either baking your own loaf of bread or buying one from the bakery that doesn't have, have any kind of preservatives in it. And it goes bad in a couple of days. I agree. I think that it, it is a big deal. Same with like, um, sword making, I think in Japan, although a dying art, it's those apprentices dedicate decades to become a master swordsmith. I think I can beat you on documentaries on just out there documentaries. I watched a documentary about uh, air guitar competitions. <laughs> I've seen that one. <laughs> it was wildly intriguing. It I don't was. know. Yep. That one guy from the United States was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just any, almost any documentary I'm interested in. But I was seriously considering going to culinary school when I was in high school. It was, am I going to go for engineering or, or automotive or, or am I going to go for culinary? So the food stuff has always kind of interested me. So um, Chef Show on Netflix and a, and a bunch of those. It's cool listening to other people talk about like the inside, like their side of that industry, whatever it may be, you know, hearing chefs nerd out about food and stuff like that. There was one episode where the chef said something and I realized I turned into like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's pointing at the TV. I don't know if you're, where I'm going, I'm like, Ooh, I know what they're talking about. And she said, you know, you go to culinary school because you have to learn the basic techniques, but you're not going to pick up those instincts you know, from school, you've got to get in there. And, and I thought to myself, oh, my God, that's that so applies to the automotive industry is is you need those basics. But some of those, I guess it's called instincts that that some of us use to make the complex look simple or the simple look complex. Uh, just you pick up along the way and and, uh, you know, they're not trade secrets. It's still knowing the basics and applying them well. But I just thought that was a 
that was one of those moments where I was like, that's, I get what they're saying there, you know? Yeah. I can like, when I was a little kid, I can vaguely remember watching like Julia Childs with my mom. As I got older, I remember watching with her, uh, America's test kitchen. That might've been my real, where I was entertained by watching it and not just, they did more than just the cooking. They would talk about, um, even sometimes the physics involved chemistry and then, uh, the equipment reviews. I don't know. They kept me entertained. I mean, it was a big break where I, I didn't watch cooking shows. I could care less. And then I happened upon season one, episode one of Hell's Kitchen. I was roped in because, you know, this British dude is just dressing these people up and down and he has these super high standards. And then later on the show, it's like, this guy can go. He can pick up a knife and he can he can go. You know, whatever he had other shows like the F word ended up being a freaking great show. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, you got to check it out. It's the F word. I don't know if they would actually delete episodes, but Ramsey, when he was younger, liked to uh, mess with people a little bit. And so there's a couple of episodes where he goes to a um, I think it's a racetrack, a horse track and serves people horse meat, tells them it's beef, tells them it's, you know, cattle. But it's horse and they love it. I mean, they're just eating it up and it's not as taboo over there as it sounds like over here. It would be, you know, you might as well serve dogs where over there it's not. It's horse was like a legitimate source or product. Another one is he is serving um, vegetarians pizza with meat on it and listening to him go on and on and on about how great it was. Wow. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That would not fly now. (laughs) No. Oh, God, no. But that was a good show because uh, part of that show was in the kitchen. He had like a small restaurant and I don't know if it was just set up for the show or not where he would have a guest and sometimes celebrities. I think for the most part celebrities, but one time I think it was his mom even and they would have a little bit of a cooking competition. One of his guests was Meatloaf, the singer Meatloaf, and they made casseroles or hot dish of some sort and Meatloaf busts out this can tin can of uh that he ripped the label off and he's like this is my secret ingredient and ramsey's like what is it i can't i can't tell you it's you know this is what's gonna win me this competition and you know so whatever he opens it he spreads it out and anybody in the midwest knows exactly what it is cream of mushroom soup that goes in almost everything we make up here But he's over there. He's like, what is it? What is it? And he's like tasting it. Like, what is it? What is it? And then whatever. He can't believe it's cream of mushroom soup. And he just scoffs at it. (laughs) And then meatloaf wins the competition. You know what? They serve a table of five or whatever. And they each vote on it. And he lost a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Michelin star chef is getting spanked by, by meatloaf's. Was that Bobby? Oh, beat Bobby Flay. Yeah, beat Bobby Flay before it was kind of its predecessor. But that leads into Kitchen Nightmares. The UK version is the one to watch. The US version's borderline terrible. The UK version of Kitchen Nightmares is well worth anyone's time to watch, especially if you're a small business owner or manager to watch. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's Gordon Ramsay and he's got a reputation and they have to bleep out a lot of what he says, but. It's a lot more, I think, down to earth about the operation of the business and being not only like a business owner and profits and quality and all that, but also um, 
providing value and how stuff at home can translate to what's going on at work. And if things are struggling at home, it's very much worth your time to work on that and fix that because then that translates to the business. And just so many different things that he, with the different restaurants that he's going in to help to fix it. But part of the reason I contacted you for this episode, you know, one, to break the news that you may have, might have been in my top 10 and maybe just maybe top five. Wow. I don't know if I can live up to that. (laughs) I was watching this latest season of MasterChef and it's, they brought back people that didn't win. And they made it to various levels. Some of them made it to the finals, lost in the finals. Some of them uh, quite a bit further down. But evidently, whoever's involved decided they left too early or deserved another another chance. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with how many personalities can we get. Uh, although late, I would say the last few seasons, there's less of that cattiness that you would see in a lot of the competition shows. But anyways, they also had a few people from MasterChef Junior. I guess I'll give away the ending. The winner was a girl who made it to the finals in MasterChef Junior when she was eight. And now she's like 20, went to culinary school and has worked in a couple of restaurants. And she ends up winning this competition. And I'm just thinking to myself, like you were saying earlier, this translates to our world that Experience can mean something, but yeah, experience has to be backed up with something or held up by an understanding of either fundamentals or theory or grasping something or having a certain tool set to go along with that experience. Because otherwise, I, I don't know that experience by itself means as much as it often gets credited for. No, I agree with that. It's funny because I know everybody calls me the old man, but I have always had a chip on my shoulder of being the young guy. I, I, you know, opened my shop at 19 and I was looked at the young guy and started working in shops at 16 and always was the young guy. And anytime, anytime I heard anybody go, you got to pay your dues. I always thought to myself, if I can do it better and faster than smarter, then why do I have to pay my dues? And I hear that these days with, with, people in our industry. Oh, they got to they got to pay their dues. And it's like, dude, the amount of information that's out there to somebody who is dedicated to learning, they can far surpass a lot of us in this industry with just the right YouTube sources and and internet sources and just they don't have to pay their dues if they if they have that base and that that knowledge and that drive to learn that stuff. Yeah, and ability. And ability, yeah. I know I sound like a jerk bringing that up, but I do think, I don't even think it's a think. I think I know that you can do as much studying and not to um, insinuate that one shouldn't or should give up after a while at all. You're always going to improve. And I'm not saying there's like a hard ceiling, although I guess there there would be a hard ceiling for everybody. Knowing when you're there would be almost impossible to determine. The reality is, is, I mean, go to these trade shows or maybe not the trade shows so much, but like the, the training events, you go to all these events and a lot of times it is the same people over and over and over. And a lot of them go to the same, I don't know so much about the same class exactly. Although that certainly does happen. Same presenter over and over and over. And I mean, I get it. You know, would you really ever 
tell somebody not to go see Thornton as much as possible? Yeah, no, no. I, I get that. I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's other stuff where eventually it's like, dude, you're going to have to branch out. Or, I mean, it's one thing to sit in there and, and watch it and have the book. It's another thing to go back to the shop and put it into practice. And that's not always so easy for everybody. And I, I would hate to, God, I would even hate to try to put a number on it. Like what's the percentage of it? But I just, I know people, they went to the same class I went to and maybe they didn't get to do it right away. But even a week later, two weeks later, they can't do it. They got the book in hand and this isn't like a slight against them. Don't misconstrue this at all. It is not a shot by any means, but there's skills involved. There's talents involved in this. No, I think that sometimes that gets uh, ignored and um, knowing that might help people change how they train themselves or go about learning or go about taking information. How could I sit in this class for three hours watching you present about, you know, whatever EV cooling systems and knowing that I'm probably not the one to just sit there with my book closed, sit back and watch. And then I'll be able to remember months or years later, most of what I saw or I got to be careful taking notes because if I get super, super focused on my notes while I'm writing whatever notes down, I'm going to miss what's being said. And, and I think understanding kind of how you learn, how you process it and how, what your level of ability is to take that information, call upon it or whatever in the Bay. That's an important thing to know. Yeah, absolutely. I'll only speak for myself there, but I think I got pretty good at exactly that. Taking the appropriate amount of notes that it will spark my my brain two years from now and, and not getting lost in, in writing everything down. Because I, to this day, still have CTI books that I go back to and go, God, what did, what did Steve tell me about, about this car? And I know I got it somewhere and, you know, refer back to that. But absolutely. And I was teaching a class today to a group of relatively new people to the field. And there were a couple of people in that class who just got it. They understood it. And the, the concepts that I was presenting, they just went, yep, okay. And there were other ones that they were going to struggle. I encouraged all of them to take as much training as they could because some of them are really going to need it. There were 12 people in class and, and three of them just absorbed everything. And I was getting feedback and the appropriate questions kind of, you know, telling me that, okay, they're getting this. If they're asking that question, they know what I'm, you know, they're following it. So there is, a, I think, a little bit of innate skill or instinct or whatever you want to call it to this. Absolutely. Are you a repair shop owner? Do you find yourself struggling with any of the following? Uncertainty about the future and competition. Are you spending too much time managing chaos and struggling with new employees? Do you lack time to invest in learning best practices? Or there's no time to spend on effective marketing? How do your finances look? Are you reactive rather than proactive? Do you know where you should be? When to grow? When to shrink? If any of those situations describe where you are today, you are finally in the right place. Repair Shop of Tomorrow is Napa Auto Care's newest endorsed partner. They are helping shops all over the nation run more profitable automotive repair shops by utilizing proven business best practice marketing and coaching to leverage Napa programs to drive quality, car count, sales, and profits. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will look at productivity, efficiencies, effective labor rate, average hours per car, labor profit percentage, measure and manage labor, 
and how you can create net profit. Team up with coaches to create systems, operations, and procedures using a business flowchart to help you reach your goals. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will help measure and manage the results to help each business succeed. Best of all, it's not do-it-yourself. It's all done for you. Their goal is to help dealers do what they do best, fix cars and build relationships at the counter and in the community. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will take the other minutia off your plate. The Repair Shop of Tomorrow offers a tier-based program to not only generate more business today, but to transform your shop into a top-level shop of tomorrow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow can teach you how to make your shop profitable. They can teach you how to recruit and how to make more labor dollars for your shop. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Call 440-545-1230 for a free 20-minute no-obligation consultation or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. I think for me, it's if I kind of understand the underlying theory and I I don't even want to insinuate like I know it at an expert level, this theory. I have a practical enough understanding of a theory that makes it reasonably accurate to apply uh, in use. I don't really have to worry about memorizing details and One comes to mind is like current and current flow, electrical current flow, the ability to move current or or handle current is probably a much better word. Today, one of my techs is looking at a power seat doesn't work on a Volkswagen. And I think in the back of everyone's head, we're thinking it's got a sunroof. The carpet is terribly wet. Now, granted, we have tons of snow, but still, I think in the back of our heads, we're thinking it's something under the driver's seat, maybe to do with the electronics module. A Volkswagen with water in it? No way. Yeah, in the back of our heads. But anyways, he he gets to the switches and sees that with a power probe, he only has two volts on the fairly heavy power feed wires to the switches. And as far as he can tell, he thinks the ground is good. So he comes and gets me and I'm like, okay, well, one, two volts, you know that's bad because it's relatively unloaded. The ground, how do you know? Like, how do you know that ground's good? Well, the meter's zero volts or 0.1 volts. I'm like, let me touch the probe and it goes to like 0.2. I go, am I a good ground? Like, what is that? What does that even mean? And, you know, the wires, you know, the brown wires ground, they're, they're pretty good size gauge. You know, probably at minimum 14 gauge, probably closer to 12 gauge. So I take the power probe and I stick it at the ground wire uh, at the um, switch and I give it power and pop the breaker. I call that the Tommy Oliva method. Well, one, if you just kind of have a good concept of, I guess I would say fundamental electricity where voltage and current and, you know, I hate to just say Ohm's law, but at least those, um, maybe not the Ohm's law itself, but, you know, the causes and effects involved. That would make sense if you knew that the breaker was good for, you know, 20 amps. And otherwise, I've I've seen it talked about. I know Keith Perkins and I have talked about it. I think Keith has presented it. He's written about it. I've seen it on Train by Text at night. You you know, are you using it on a freaking 20 gauge wire? Probably not. But now we know that's a good ground. End of story. And, And trying to explain that to him to where it makes sense. And it's not so much... Again, it's not like a dig, but that's not something that they teach in school, <laughs> you know. And then long story short, it was not the module. There is a connector. I think it was 
a 10 pin connector right near the seat rail driver's front seat rail by the door it's just once you peeled the carpet back it was all green and the they have power seats now <laughs> that power probe itself is a phenomenal tool if you understand what it's telling you but i was at a shop last week and I don't need a mood ring because everybody could read my face apparently, but but this tech is telling me he's checking out this Corvette and he goes, yeah, you know, and that relay's got power until it gets ground or it's got ground until it gets power. And I looked at him and I said, how are you checking that? Oh, my power probe, it goes from red to green or green to red. And I, apparently I must've rolled my eyes so hard he heard it. And he goes, is that, is that not right? And I went, oh, okay, so let's, let's figure this out. And I, and I walked him through the wiring diagram and explained voltage drop and all, and all that. And same thing, you know, we, I did the same thing with the ground and I went, oh, look, circuit, you know, the, the circuit breaker popped. So we know we got a good ground and we went from there, but it was just, it was obvious to me that he was making assumptions about what that tool was telling him without really truly understanding what was happening across the control side of that relay so it seems that all of my mobile diags become classes (laughs) i'm always trying to to walk them through okay so the next time you can figure this out yourself sometimes it's a a training thing or a skill thing or a tooling thing sometimes it's just you get locked in on something and it's hard to see the forest from the trees And then somebody from the outside, you come in, the mobile tech comes in, tech from another shop, or you ship it to another shop, and they figure it out in a few minutes or or an hour or whatever, and you're almost embarrassed. Yeah. There's a case study in my network class where I I walked into the shop, and they've been struggling with this car for two weeks, and and the tech who was working on it said, man, I really hope that you're just going to go, hey, dumbass, look what you missed. From the driver's seat, just looking at scan data, I went, are, you know, in a wiring diagram, I looked at him and I went, are you sure this ground is good? Yeah, yep, no problem. I know this ground is good. And I get out of the driver's seat saying to myself, all right, I want to take a look at this ground for myself. And, you know, you, get, you open the hood, look straight down, and there's the ground just hanging, you know, not bolted up to anything. And I looked at him and I went, are, are you sure you want me to say this? <laughs> hey, look what you missed. So, and it's just sometimes you get you get uh, tunnel vision. I've done it. I think we've all come back from lunch or come back in the morning, and you're dreading that car that kicked your butt all day yesterday. And within the first five minutes, you look at it and go, "Oh my god, it's right there." Now I see it because you get a fresh set of eyes, and you're not you're not so so stuck on whatever it was you were getting stuck on. Yeah, like misinterpreting a piece of data or... Yeah, or just looking at a wiring diagram wrong. It's been a couple of times where I've gone, I know how that works. And it's, you know, went down a couple of dead ends before I looked back at that wiring diagram and went, oh no, that's not how that works. That's what I loved about speaking of favorite instructors is, oh, I can't believe I'm blanking out on his name. The wiring diagram coloring class. Oh, George Menchu. George Menchu. That's it. I'm so embarrassed I couldn't couldn't think of his name because there was a couple of times in that class where I looked at that wiring diagram and I went, I get it. And then we started coloring it and I went, oh, no, I don't get it. Oh, wow. It doesn't work the way I assumed. I mean, I wish I knew how to do certain things. One of those would be I don't know how to help that technique and philosophy theory get into Every what would be NATEF? It's not NATEF anymore, though. It'd be uh, what do they call it now? It's ASE Education Foundation or something. But I think so. Yeah. If you're going to be credentialed through ASE as a uh, school or curriculum, George's uh, wiring schematic coloring class 
is required. Yeah. His discussion on how you learn stuff, how your brain puts that stuff together is just phenomenal. When you talked about, you know, we go to these training events and we see the same couple hundred people or you're on Facebook or wherever and it's almost become an echo chamber. And one of my frustrating things is how do we get, if it's the same, let's just say it's a thousand texts. It's the same thousand guys interacting on all of these diag.net and Facebook and all, all this stuff. How, there's a million texts in the United States or close to a million. How do we get out to the rest of them? That's a phenomenal question. I don't have the answer for it, unfortunately, because I'm going into these corporate chain shops these days. I'm doing a lot of those corporate training. These guys, I don't expect them to know me, but they don't know Scanner Danner. They certainly don't know John Thornton. The idea of training outside of what you know is presented to them at, at their stores is foreign to them. And I share things like the PAVE training event and Vision and Super Saturday or whatever it may be, ASTE. And they're like, wait a minute, that's right down the road from us. Yeah. Yeah, that's that stuff is out there. I'm trying to spread the word, but I'm doing it, you know, 12 people at a time. And I don't know how you get it out to the rest of the world. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that kind of gets back to a little bit to Tanner in my episode where we're just name dropping is in our world, our little bubble within the bubble of auto repair. There's names that everybody knows, but anyone outside of that little bubble and in the grand scheme, it's little. Like if you're talking a thousand techs showing up to trade shows regularly, that's like what, 20 per state. I mean, that's how pathetic is that? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of too bad that there isn't so many techs attending these things that they're almost forced to be regional. You know, Vision pretty much services the Midwest technicians. ASTE maybe services the East, you know, Northeast, Southeast, something like that. And I'm just stunned that I'm glad I love going to Vision, but I am stunned that Kansas City is the place where we all go. How is there not a Northeast and a, and a Southeast and a Southwest? How, how is there not one of those visions? It blows my mind. And again, considering all the texts that would probably go if you had something a little closer to them than Kansas City, it would be great, especially since I'm a trainer and I want to go to all these big events. So I want as many big events as possible. Well, yeah, but you could reasonably say at least to start, there would be six, almost like a freaking sports conferences. You know, you got the Northwest Auto Show, I think, ATE, that could be one. And then you'd have a Southwest. I'm not sure who would do that. Offhand, I'm not sure what's out there regularly. And then South Central, Vision might be North Central. Yeah, Southeast, Northeast. Canada could probably use a couple, two or three. We need to make this a competition with shirts and like a, like a troubleshooting contest. Well, I mean, I've talked to Sherry about it. It's kind of surprising to me that we, the market, haven't forced it. But that's because in the grand scheme, relatively speaking, very few attend these things. That's just the reality. Like, you know, have an explosive attendance at, you know, wherever, ASTE, and let's just say 2,000 people show up, you know, and that'd be a mix of technicians and trainers. Well, that's still only, depending on how we're dividing this all up in the proportions, we're still talking 20 to 40 per state. Yeah, it's still a fraction of the total number of techs in this field and good techs too. Like there's a lot of really sharp guys out there that have no idea the stuff is out there. It really does blow my mind. No, I know it allow you guys to travel to like six big events. And then of course you'd have your regular, regular training stuff. Cause even at that, there isn't that many 
training providers. No, I can only speak for CTI. I can't speak for Napa or, or ATG or any of those. But even at our level, Jim Kokonis and I had these conversations where, God, we have the research center. We have this wonderful building with every tool you could imagine and, and two or three classrooms that are just perfect for presentations. And, you know, we should be doing regional classes or maybe even online adaptive learning uh, leading to a regional class and you get the basics online or at a webinar and then you come to a regional class and and you get me or another instructor that does some type of presentation to continue that education to to continue that learning path and then once you've gotten that we should have that event where you know, we get that, I don't know, 50, 100 guys or whatever we could handle there for a hands-on event to really take the basics and, and take what you learned in that in-person class and then go to that event and, and really apply it, you know, a diagnostic day or whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's tough. We want so bad to do that. And uh, it just seems like we can't get it off the ground and we're trying. But again, it's getting that out to the uh, the people outside of our echo chamber. You could really get me rolling on echo chambers. We could just do a whole episode on echo chambers. You know, I had an idea once, and I don't think it's nothing new. I, I, this is not me saying I'm having an original thought, but I had gone to a franchise, Minnesota area, we'll just say, with the idea that we could set up a training center because they had many, many stores throughout the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And wherever this would be located, preferably centralized, it would be equipped with all the stuff that would be in each store. And the idea would be eventually every store would have all the same stuff. So whatever type of alignment machine, whatever type of alignment hoist, whatever type of other hoist, whatever type of tire machine, whatever type of uh, balancer, scan tools, you know, diagnostic equipment, Every store would be equipped with these things and that the training center would be you get a job at this entity and right away you're going to learn how to do a blah, blah, blah oil change. This is how we do oil changes at every store. This is how we do tires. This is how we whatever that is and for everything. And then, of course, for the diagnostics would be at the training center, we'd be dispatched either mobile or get the car brought to the training center to be diagnosed. And then that would be the subject of, you know, whatever classes throughout the year to send your Top Gun text to. And you're essentially trying to train yourself out of a job, which I doubt would happen. But that would be kind of the mentality is, all right, this kicks somebody's tail. This is why. Makes perfect sense. Not to show you how to go about it. And I literally got laughed out of the boardroom, if you will. Running with that a little bit is, and I don't know what, what you would do for the perks, but like our shop is a tech net shop, but I don't think there's a whole lot involved in us becoming a tech net shop. It was basically like, we want to be a tech net shop. Oh, here. Awesome. You're a tech net shop. And I don't know if you could necessarily get to the point of saying you have to have this equipment in there. You know, if you're a Napa auto care shop, you have to have this equipment in there. You know, I know they have a, a wide variety of vendors that Nap Auto Cares get uh, deals through and whatnot, and, and that's fine. But to be able to say, hey, if you're going to have this badging, you're going to be a tech net, you're going to be a Nap Auto Care, you're going to be whatever, do you have to send your people to this training? And, and I don't know where the 
the perks come in where it's like, you're not a franchise, but you really want to be this thing. Like, we, you know, if we really want to be a tech net shop or if we really want to be a Napa auto care center, why would we want that? And it's, oh, we get better warranties and maybe better discounts or better rebates at the end of the quarter or I don't know. I, and I guess I don't even want to be rattling off ideas. Like I think they're good ideas. Just thinking about if you had training centers throughout the country, whether that's less than a dozen or a dozen of them, and maybe one in each state, I don't know, or depending on maybe so many square miles, you know, so Rhode Island would not have its own <laughs> training center because it'd probably take up the whole state. New Jersey has so many shops, you need three or four. So yeah, yeah, that would work. I know from the CarQuest side of it, at least going back a couple of years, where we had strong regions, the parts stores saw a significant drop in warranty and defect returns. And I bet you Napa and everybody else who has successful training can quantify that that value that, oh, we're, you know, where we have a good region where the 15 or 20 shops are showing up to every class. Yeah, so so you could offer a longer warranty or a better warranty to these shops that I think that is a good idea. I kind of like that. I'm going to steal that. Well, I'm just thinking, how do you drive people to training? How do you go from having, maybe the actual number isn't higher than 12 per class because it's better to have the lower number, but you're doing it more often and it's happening throughout the country and they're sending people because they have to. And it's because they have to, because they want to, because being a part of this, being a part of this, what I don't even know what that's called, but you are a Napa Auto Care, you are a, a tech net shop. There's good reason to be associated with this. Like it benefits you. And I don't know, does that work that way? Or does then somebody just say, well, we're not going to make you do that. If you join us, you're going to get these perks and you don't have to send your guys to training if you don't want. You know, we'll offer you the deals on equipment anyways, or there's got to be a way to nudge the shops towards doing that. You know, maybe not make it a straight out requirement, but in, somehow incentivize them towards sending guys to training. Well, I mean, we got to do it fast because otherwise chat GPT is just going to take over. I have not messed with that because I think that I'm going to get lost in it. But I've kind of purposely avoided it because the because this past couple of months has been very, very busy for me, but I've heard a couple of people talk about it and I'm like, okay, one of these, one of these days I'm going to go down the rabbit hole with that. But have you played around with it? No. Sean Tipping was telling me and showing me some screenshots of stuff he was doing for grins and it's impressive. It's scary. Impressive. It may well be in our lifetime slash, I don't know about careers. Well, I mean, I have to work until I die. There's no way around that. Yeah, exactly. My retirement plan is to die, you know, is to retire the day they bury me. So, <laughs> yeah, I think my funeral and retirement ceremony are going to be the same, <laughs> same event. Let's just say for the sake of argument that I have another 20 years legitimately working. I think in that 20 years, we're going to see this affect us in the base. I agree wholeheartedly. And the basis for that comment is that this is already a few years ago. Lex Friedman was on Rogan and Rogan asked him because Lex is MIT professor and also involved in autonomous driving and AI. Joe asks Lex how many years until we have a fully autonomous vehicle. And Lex is kind of like, yeah, we're probably like 40, 45 years away. And Rogan's like, wow, really that, that far? Yeah. You know, driving's 
is very complex and humans are very good at it because we're good at ignoring certain things that aren't important. I was like a year to the day Lex was on again. And I don't mean a year to the day today, today that we're recording, but a year to the day that Lex was on that first time, which might be five years ago. And Joe asks him again, how far away? And he went from 40, 45 down to like 10. That doesn't surprise me. Well, right. The advances in, I think, machine learning, camera quality and costs and LIDAR, even though, you know, now Tesla is kind of in this weird spot where they're staunchly against it. Now, I don't know anymore. They, I think they might be bringing some other stuff back, radar or whatever. Yeah, they were all cameras there for a while, right? I mean, dude, have you ever been in a car during autopilot or or driven a Tesla with autopilot? Mm-hmm. The people ask me like, you know, how good is it? And I say, and they think, I, like, I get it, all right? I have a reputation. I get it. But I tell them, autopilot's so good, people die because of it. And they're kind of looking at me weird. Like, <laughs> it's so good, they die. It seems to me like if it was any good, nobody would die. I'm like, no, no, no. Autopilot is nowhere near autonomous. I mean, it's like level two, level three at the very best level three. And I don't think it's that. I think it's really level two. And there's a big thing on the display. Like you are still absolutely responsible for piloting this vehicle, but it's so good. It lulls people into a false sense of security. Yep. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of trouble free, safe driving with just autopilot. Be it autopilot and a little bit of uh, somebody's hand on a steering wheel or a water bottle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It goes problem free. And then once in a while, a situation arises where it's really not should not be piloting the vehicle by itself. Makes a mistake. People die. But it's because it's that good. You trust it. You start trusting it. That's how good it is. And that's level two or three. We still got two more to go. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And this is probably going back five years now, but that uh, driverless taxi company, Waymo, when they first rolled out those driverless taxis, they had a team of people in an office building somewhere with a really sweet video game setup. So if that car got to somewhere where it wasn't sure what to do, he could take over control of that car and steer it around whatever it needed to do. But the cars, you know, they... Once that human driver interfered and and got around whatever that that problem was, all those cars now knew, okay, when we reach that, we'll... And I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think they said that when they first rolled the cars out, they were having six or seven human interactions where somebody had to go in and physically take over that driverless car for every thousand miles driven. And now they're one or two every 10,000 miles driven. I think it's called hive learning where, like you said, one figures it out, that one has it figured out or learns. They all do. Yeah. They show the, you know, human navigating the McDonald's drive through. And once he had navigated that drive through every, you know, every machine knew, okay, all right. So if we're going through the drive through, now we know what to do. I don't know why you're taking your driverless taxi through the drive through, but that's a whole nother story. I am almost positive it's Waymo was they are involved in a higher percentage of car accidents than just regularly human driven vehicles. However, the uh, accidents they were in were rear end collisions and it wasn't the Waymo vehicle rear ending somebody. It was the Waymo vehicle getting rear ended because it observes all laws. So when it comes to a stop sign, it 
stops. It waits whatever one, two, three seconds. Then it goes. Human drivers following it don't do that. They roll through the stop signs. They don't wait three seconds, like a legitimate three. It's yeah, that's my biggest complaint with my wife's car is the forward collision is is too sensitive. If that car in front of me has their turn signal on and I know they're turning, I'm not hitting the brakes. Yeah, you know, it's going to be out of my way, but the radar doesn't know that. The radar just is there's something there and it's stopping and you're not paying attention and suddenly warning lights and everything coming up. So it will be very interesting. How do we get from cooking shows to autonomous vehicles? That's that's impressive. This is like a normal conversation for me. It, that's true. That's you just true. start out with something and <laughs> whatever works. I like it. It's like your documentaries. You have a wide range of interests. So do I. Yeah, just about anything. I'm like you. You mentioned it earlier. There's I like to know how things work, you know, whether it's cars or not. Just just a basic understanding of, of OK, I, I get what that does. Even like how it's made was a show that I absolutely loved. And again, my wife, why do you need to know how a kayak is made? Oh, because that's cool. <laughs> why not? Why not? Exactly. But I don't need to know what's happening at the molecular level to sometimes fix cars. Uh, if I can, if I can understand how it works and it makes sense in my head, even if that's not how it really works, even an oxygen sensor doesn't really do what I'm saying it does. It makes sense in my head and I can fix the car or make sense of the data I'm looking at. I'm good with that. Yeah, it's the accuracy versus applicability debate. And I think very, very early on in my career, I would have argued to the death accuracy trumps everything. And I would say the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I've pretty much shifted off of that. I mean, once I went down the rabbit hole of quantum mechanics, I just realized this has no value in day-to-day life fixing cars. And therefore, you do not need to know that a particle is not what you think it is. And it's not going to help you diagnose that network issue. Yeah, I think it was uh, PJ Walter sent me a video showing how current doesn't actually travel through the wire. It travels around the outside. And I watched about five minutes of it and I went, this is not going to help. I got annoyed and frustrated and went, I don't need to have this level of knowledge in my head right now. (laughs) You have current and, you know, like electron drift velocity type things, but then you have the energy transfer and the actual energy transfer isn't through the wires. It's through the field. And we could go down a massive rabbit hole if we start talking about that. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I didn't watch the video. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing he sent you a video I sent him or Probably. turned him on to that. Just how we don't need sci-fi fantasy. Reality is way more jacked up than any fantasy. I still don't have a lightsaber, though. If we're talking about like just electrons through wires, there is something to, um, I think it's called like the skin effect. I think they travel faster on the outside than the inside. There are electrons moving. If there's electrons there, they're moving. And copper wire has electrons everywhere. So it makes sense that they're all moving. Uh, but then there's other things at play. That's a subject for some other podcast. That's a whole nother really boring podcast we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess when I saw that episode of MasterChef and her name was Dara, that when she won, she is the youngest by far. I guess you could argue to a degree the least experienced, for sure the least life experience. But because of the, she did really good in that first competition amongst 
uh, you know, other kids goes to culinary school and gets like the basic tools to do things that she before didn't really know how to do and then do it with, I guess, aptitude, but whether it's just slicing like knife skills, she was eight years old. Her knife skills were not matching an adult really, you know, even a, a, a fairly accomplished adult for sure. But to go through school and now those knife skills develop and the ability to follow directions and the ability to follow a sequence or a a protocol set her apart from everyone else. Even if they themselves also went through culinary school, which many of them did, they were home cooks. They were not working in kitchens. They had not gone to culinary school. That was the whole point of the show, MasterChef. And then when they win, they get to make a, a, a cookbook. But a lot of them, win or lose, go into culinary arts, go in, uh, to classes to get the training on, the, I guess, the basics, if you will. And then it's some innate talent that starts separating everyone, right? And, and we see it in everything. Sports, you know, if you, if you have friends coming over for poker, some people are just way better at it than you are. You know, they studied it. It made sense. That's another thing we could go a deep dive on is poker. <laughs> I love that. You did a Daniel Negreanu episode, right? You did a kid poker one? Yeah. I mean, I didn't go into a whole lot on the poker theory itself. I mean, I did a little bit. We should, though. Honestly, that would be a great episode. That would be. I like that. Yeah, let's do that because I think it's very reasonable to talk about, uh, which I may have talked a little bit about, but we could go talk about it more. Poker ranges. And how that can translate directly to diagnostics. Yeah. And I guess that, yeah, because one response I wanted to make to something you said earlier with all that um, different documentaries and different shows and just all seemingly disconnected from one another. I watch them for entertainment value, but I also watch a lot of stuff to see how it translates to just life in general. And auto repair, you know, that's how I go binge watch Kitchen Nightmares. That's why I binge watch Bar Rescue. That's why I binge watch some of these cooking shows because a lot of it translates to us. Then that's what interests me. Sports. I think there's an episode coming out tonight or tomorrow where I talk about I was watching football. There's stuff that translates directly that we can watch and apply to life in general, of course, or day to day lives. And also the shop, regardless of what position we have in the shop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just watching all these documentaries because I'm getting old and senile, according to Tanner. So I just have to, you know, keep my brain going. (laughs) What's Tanner know? He's out biking in the mountains. The air's really thin. I'm jealous of that. (laughs) He starts hallucinating. (laughs) Well, he can't get that high up in the mountains. He's always going to be at a lower altitude than everybody else. Well, sir, I do appreciate it again. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Ah, Thanks for having me. Hopefully we'll have you on soon again. Count me in. Let me know when. Well, thank uh, Napa Auto Care again for sponsoring and Aftermarket Radio Network for making this all possible. And for those of you listening, I thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you have ideas or thoughts about the show, Please keep reaching out. I am pretty easy to reach on social media, or you can email me at mattfonzlopodcast at gmail.com. And so until next time, everyone, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. 
He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.